Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Good morning, everybody. If you're our guest, welcome. We're delighted you're with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Man, I tell you what, I am so excited about what the Lord's doing here at Maysville Baptist Church, and I am very excited that you're here. I am so grateful. We just sang that worthy is the name of Jesus. Do you believe Jesus' name is worthy? Let me ask you this. Do you believe Jesus' name is worthy of an amen? Do you believe Jesus is is worthy, his name's worthy of a glory to God? Do you believe Jesus' name is worthy of a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Man, I tell you what, we serve a risen Savior. We have something to celebrate. We have a God who loved us so much he sent his son on Calvary's cross, and thank God the grave couldn't hold him. Amen? We serve a risen Savior, and we've got something to celebrate today. And I want to thank you so very much for taking the time to be with us. Phil is about to come and sing a song here, but before he sings this song and I come and preach, I'm going to be preaching today from uh, Acts chapter 14. And I want to talk to you today about being a disciple maker. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says that we are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. When we look at Acts chapter 14, we see Paul and Barnabas developing and doing that. And in doing so, there's been some serious trials and tribulations and hard times that they go through. And I hope it'll be an encouragement to you because we're living in a culture today where it's getting hard. Uh, it's tough. It's, it's going to be really hard. It's going to continue to get hard. But thank God he is worthy and he's going to take us through any trial that we ever experience. And let me just say this in the form of going through trials and God seeing us through the trials we just have come through or just about coming completely out of uh, this pandemic and we can't wait till it's all over officially. But I am grateful, grateful that you came and that you're here. And for those of you that are watching, I want to tell you how much I love you and how grateful I am that you're tuning in today. Thank you for being a part of our worship service today. Let me go ahead and give you this before I forget. Next week is going to be Vision Sunday. I've been praying and seeking uh, the Lord's face on where we're to go uh, after this pandemic and how we're going to launch some different things and and all this wonderful stuff. And our, did you notice our debt's just about under $250,000? We're about $9,000 away for it being under $250,000. I'm telling you, church, when that thing gets paid off, we're going to be able to do so much more for the glory of God. And uh, I can't wait to share some things with you that I'd like to see us be able to do as a church. And uh, so next week, uh, we'll still have three services next week and in the weeks to come. But I just want to encourage you that I'm going to be laying out what it's going to look like here in the future. And that'll be next week. And uh, I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. I can't wait to share those things with you. And uh, it'll be a wonderful time. Well, right now, let me ask the Lord's blessing on this song. And uh, this might be you. You may be going through a challenge, a difficulty, a trial. You might even say, man, it's hot. I'm going through a hot, fiery mess. May I just say this? Keep trusting the Lord. He's going to see you through. 
Father, I pray you'd bless this song. I pray you'd prepare our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So many times I've questioned certain circumstances and things I could not understand. Many times in trials, my weakness blurs my vision, and then my frustration gets so out of hand. But it's then I am reminded never been forsaken. I've never had to stand one test alone. And as I look at all the victories, the Spirit rises up in me. And it's through the fire my weakness is made strong. He never promised that the cross would not get heavy. And the hill would not be hard to climb. He never offered our victories without fighting, but he said help would always come in time. Just remember when you stand in the valley of decision and the adversary says give in. Just hold on, our Lord will show up, and he will take you through the fire again. I know within myself that I will surely perish, but if I will trust the mighty hand of God, he'll shield the flames again, again. That the cross would not get heavy and the hill would not be hard to climb. He never offered our victories without fighting, but he said help would always come in time. But just remember when you're standing in the valley of decision. Every says, give it, just hold on. Our Lord will show up, and he will take you through the fire again. So just hold on. Our Lord will show up, and he will take you through the fire again. Thank you so very much, Phil, for that. Uh, that is such a true statement. He's going to take you through the fire, and he'll do it again and again and again and again. And let me call your attention to uh, Acts chapter number 14. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, there, there are 28 verses here. 
I want to preach a sermon entitled Effective Discipleship. Effective Discipleship. Notice what the Bible says beginning in verse number 1. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together, that's talking about Paul and Barnabas, into the synagogue of the Jews. And so spake a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. So for a long time they abode there, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitudes of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both on the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully to stone them, they were warned of it, and so they fled to Lystria and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and into the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at, the, at Lystria who was impotent on his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb. He had never walked. The same heard Peter, excuse me, heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand straight up on his feet. And he didn't stand, he leaped and he walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in a speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Zeus. And they called Paul Hermes, because he was a chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, uh, which was before the city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates, and would have done a sacrifice with the people, which when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes and ran among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men just like you that have the same passions. And we preach unto you that you should turn from these meaningless things unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the seas and all the things that are therein who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left, it, he left himself without a witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with gladness, with food and gladness, and which things, saying, scarce retain the people that they had not done the sacrifice unto them. And there came thither a certain Jew from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and, having stoned Paul, drug him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he stood up and he came back into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel in that city, he had taught many things. They returned again to Lystria and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much trials, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church 
and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Attilia. And thence sailed to Antioch, and from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they were fulfilling. And then, or when they then, excuse me, and when they had come, or when they were come, and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how they had opened the door, how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they stayed for a long time with the disciples. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. This text, no doubt, shows us how to do effective discipleship. The Bible tells us it's very clear that we are to make disciples of all nations. We are to baptize them. We are to teach them all things in the Word of God. We are to help see them not only come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but we've got to raise them up in the faith. We have got to teach them in the area of discipleship so that they too can turn and win others to Jesus Christ and they can grow individuals up in the faith. So in the text, we see exactly what it takes in order to have an effective discipleship ministry. I want you to notice with me three things Luke focuses on as he reports how the Holy Spirit works through Paul and Barnabas as they make disciples. In order to be effective disciple makers and to have an effective discipleship work within the body of Christ, there are three things we must be willing to do. Number one, we must first of all be willing to take the time. We must be willing to take the time. In verses 1 through 7, this passage of Scripture, this text, tells us all about time and the time it takes to make a disciple. When you read this passage of Scripture, you cannot help but think about what happened just days before in Pisidian Antioch. We see from this point forward, from Pisidian Antioch, all the way through when Paul and Barnabas are making their way from city to city, we see a pattern that is often occurring. It goes something like this. The preachers come into town and they begin to preach. The people respond. And as the people respond, they either trust Jesus Christ as their Savior or they get mad. That's what happens. They either trust Christ or they get angry. And then there's the third thing. Opposition ensues in the city. There's this great opposition that will, will arise in the cities. And then number four, the city will divide. And then the fifth thing is violence will erupt. And we see this time after time after time after time. And throughout this sequence of events, Paul and Barnabas always take the time necessary to minister and to share the gospel. Let me show you in this text and notice with me the outline of this text. First of all, I want you to see a transforming truth. There is first of all a transforming truth in verse number 1. Did you see it? Notice again with me in the Word of God. The Bible says, And it came to pass in Iconium that there went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude of both Jews and also of the Gentiles believed. You cannot ignore that in verse number 1, there was a transforming truth that was proclaimed in this city of Iconium, and people got saved. They received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. There, there's a couple of things that's worthy to note here. Number one is the Bible uses the term they. 
day. Speaking of Paul and Barnabas, the point here is that they went into this evangelistic effort together. They went together. They didn't do it alone. They went together. Why is that important? I've met individuals that have been rescued from the Lord from alcoholism. And God has saved them from alcoholism, and they get saved, and they're so excited about the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they want to win every alcoholic in every bar between Dan and Beersheba. They want to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so what do they do? They take it upon themselves the first week of their salvation, and they start going into these bars trying to share their gospel, or share the gospel with them. And what they fail to realize is there's more lost people than they are saved people. You say, well, with you and God, you're a majority. Yeah, but if you're a baby Christian and you don't know how to defend your faith, there's a good likelihood they'll overtake you. And I've seen it happen time and time and time and time again. They fall and they go back to the bottle. So, well, they didn't really get saved. No, they didn't properly get discipled. And so what I'm saying to you is this. When you get saved, there's a transforming truth that takes place that you don't need to go in places alone. There needs to be going in teams, in groups, in, 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 and not just by yourself. We see there's, there's, they went together. Number two, the second thing you see is the term, they so spake. You see that? So spake. That, that means to preach the gospel. But not only does it mean to preach the gospel, it also means to teach instruction. So not only did they preach the gospel, but they also instructed these Jews and Gentiles on how to grow up in their faith. And because of that, when they shared the gospel and shared with them, God's not done with them yet. The Bible says that a great multitude believed. That is, a great multitude trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, and they got radically saved. A transforming truth. We preach a transforming truth in our nation today. We preach a transforming truth in our world today. Today, I preach from a position of transformation. My heart's desire, listen to me, friend, is that you would leave this place knowing beyond any shadow of a doubt that when you die, you're going to heaven. That's my heart's desire. I want to preach a transforming truth. But let me show you a second thing in the text. Not only do we see a transforming truth, but you also see a twisted truth. A twisted truth. Did you see what happened in verse number 2? The Bible says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. Now, if you have your pens, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, there's a lot here, but I just want to point out one thing. I want you to underline that term, evil affected. Evil affected. That word evil affected is where we get our English word poisoned. So what we're finding out in this text is that the unbelieving Jews stirred up, we talked about that several weeks ago, they stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds poisoned against Christians. Do you see it there in the text? Listen to me very carefully, dear friend. Why does the world hate us so much? Because the culture has poisoned them against you and I. There has been a twisted truth in relationship to born-again Christians. We offer love. We offer joy. We offer the peace only that God can bring. Yet our world looks at us today, and it's going to get progressively worse, and they see us as being the enemy. Christians are not the enemy. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the only answer that will save our nation. So we find here a twisted truth. But not only do you see a twisted truth, you also see a third thing, and that is a trying time. A trying 
time. Do you see what verse number 3 said? The Bible says it was because of this poisoned mind that was against the brethren that Paul and Barnabas took a long time to reside as they spoke boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and, grant, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, there's a lot here, too. But let me point out just a couple of things in this trying time. First of all, the Bible says as they took the time to stay. When things got hard and difficult, they didn't bail. Even though the tongue was sharp against them, even though the opposition was great against them, they did not leave. They stayed. They stayed until their lives were to be put in jeopardy. And even at that, they still continued to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice how they did it. They did it with boldness. They did it from a position that if God is in me, who can be against me? And as they proclaimed boldly in a corrupt generation, in a corrupt culture, the Bible says they gave testimony under the word of his being God or Christ in this particular instance, grace. They testified with boldness to the grace of God even though the culture was against them. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today, on your jobs, those individuals that are against you, that say that you cannot preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you cannot share Jesus Christ, you, cannot do, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do any of these things. May I say that we rise up with the strength that is within us, just as the strength that was in Paul and Barnabas, and in a crooked and wicked generation, stand up, testify, don't be a sissy Christian and give word to God the glory as you win people to Jesus Christ. He tells us there's going to be trying times. And we need to be bold. And we need to be communicating the testimony of God's grace. Now we see also in the text in the latter part, he says he granted them signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Why is this? Remember, this is so vitally important, the word of God has not been completed. It's in the process of being written. They are living out the Word of God that's going to be recorded that we have today. And so God, in His great sovereignty, gave to the apostles a season where they had supernatural power so that they could see people healed, that they might do great signs and wonders for the glory of God. It was through the difficulties and the hard times that we see God using them in a mighty way, especially during these trying times. And then let me give you this fourth one. Watch this. Don't miss this. We've seen a torn trust. A torn trust. In verses 4 through 7, notice what the Bible says here. The Bible says, But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part held with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and they fled to Lystria and Derby, which is about between 20, Lystria is about 20 miles, Derby is about uh, 27, 28 miles uh, there uh, into these cities of Lyconia and into the region that lieth round about. Listen to me very carefully. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in Scripture does it say that a Christian, because of the wickedness of the culture, bears up weapons and assaults innocent people. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Nowhere 
would the Bible ever, ever say it's okay for a professing Christian to take up arms and go to innocent people like even if they're doing uh, awful things like in a massage parlor, if you would, that may have been corrupt. It is not the role of a Christian to go in there and shoot the place up. So why does that happen? Because they don't have Jesus. We should pray for a lost world. Yes, we should confront sin. But we do not, we do not kill people because of their wickedness and their sin. God is the judge, not us. And so we find here in this particular text, there's a torn trust. And this torn trust, we find, has divided the people in such a way where you've got Christians on one side and you've got the secular world on the other side. And the secular world, it is the individuals that don't know Jesus Christ is wanting to kill Christians, not the other way around. And they're divided. So let me ask you this. What's the principle? What then is the principle that we have here in this text regarding to take the time. Here's the principle I believe we walk away in verses 1 through 7. It's this. To be an effective disciple maker, we have to take the time needed to make disciples, even in hard places. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we're in a relatively easy place in northeast Georgia. I mean, come on, let's face it. We get done with church today, you get in your car, you go over there to uh, La Hacienda, uh, they're not going to be some extreme opposition concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are some difficult places in this land. There are individuals today that got up on a Sunday morning and they had to meet underground in order to have church because their lives are at stake. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I submit to you today that regardless if we're in an easy area or if we're in a hard area, we have got to take the time that's needed in order to see disciples made. Number two, let me give you a second thing very quickly. Not only do we see, do we see we've got to take the time, the second thing is we need to tell the truth. Tell the truth. In verses 8 through 20, in this section, there's three things that unfold that are worthy of our attention. Number one, the first one is a disturbing statement. A disturbing statement. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 8. The Bible says, And there sat a certain man in Lystria. Uh, he was crippled. He had been crippled from his mother's womb. In fact, he had never walked. In the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith, that is to say that here was a man who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, he received Christ as his Savior, he has faith, and he has enough faith to believe, which, by the way, the Bible says is only as, as big as a mustard seed. So we find Paul turns to this man and said, Stand up. The man does not only stand up, he jumps up on his feet, and he starts walking around. The people are in such amazement as to what happens, they start talking in their native tongue, and they say this, the gods have come down to earth and they're in the flesh. And they look, and they look at Barnabas and they say, he's Zeus. Remember Zeus? Zeus is the god of the sky, the god of thunder, the god of, of, of all, if you would. And then he says, Paul has got to be here, Hermes. That is the mouthpiece of the gods. I could understand why they would call uh, Paul uh, Hermes uh, because he's got a big mouth. I understand that. 
I don't understand why they called Barnabas Zeus. Remember, Barnabas must have had the appearance of authority. Remember, he, he was a man that was considered the son of consolation. His primary gift was encouragement, not power. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and under the power of the Holy Spirit, there is great power. But when they look at, at Barnabas, they, they saw Mr. Power and not Mr. Encouragement. And so we see here that they said, here are the gods. This is a disturbing statement. It's disturbing so much to, uh, uh, to Paul and Barnabas that we see, number two, the second thing that happens is that they give them a direct statement. In verses 14 through 18, a direct statement is made and demonstrated to cause them to tell the truth to these lost people. The first thing we see here in verses 8 through 13, excuse me, verses 14 through 18, is that they tore their clothes. Now, they did this to show that they were completely humans and not gods. But they also did this as a natural outpouring that was instinctive, if you would, to the Jewish community. They did it because it was blasphemy. Anytime you see someone speak a blasphemous word, a Jew has this tendency to rip their clothes. And here we find the same thing in the text. Here we find that these individuals spoke blasphemous words. They were calling Paul and Barnabas God's little G. And they were, in calling them little gods, they said, No, that's not true. That can never be, they said. And then we see in the text that they began to speak this truth. Notice what they say in verse number 15. Sirs, why do you say these things? We are also men with like passions just like you. And we preach to you that you should turn from these meaningless views. If you're reading the King James, it's the word vanities, emptiness. He simply points his finger at them and says this, Your gods are empty. And then he says this, You were to turn from those empty gods and you were to turn to the living God which made heaven and earth. He's directly contradicting what Zeus was doing, or what they said Zeus was doing. Zeus didn't make heaven and earth. Zeus didn't make the sea. The Bible says that God made that. And the Bible says in verse number 16, he goes on to say, Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways? Nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness. Now watch this. Here's what we call general revelation. When you, when you approach God. God gives us revelation. He gives us general revelation and he gives us special revelation. Paul in his wisdom under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit does not point to special revelation. He doesn't point to the scripture. He points to general revelation because the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. That is to say you can look at this world and see just as they did that there's a God. They just didn't believe in the right God. They believed in the wrong God, the Greek gods. And so he goes and he appeals to general revelation where he says in verse number 17, he said he left him without a witness. That is, <clears throat> he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. He tells them very easily, he says, just look at general revelation and see what God's done. Zeus didn't do this. He says, I'm not Zeus, and Zeus didn't do it. He says, who did it was God did it. Excuse me, Hermes. I, 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 Barnabas didn't do it. God did it, he said. And so he gives them this direct 
statement. Well, this didn't sit right with them. We see in verse number 18, and the Bible says, And with these sayings, scarce restrained the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And they came closer to these Jews, to the, to the Jews at Antioch and Iconium, and they persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. This is the third thing we see here in the text, and that is a deceiving situation. There is a deceiving <clears throat> excuse me, situation here. That deceiving situation that we see is that they stoned Paul until they thought he was dead. That is, they picked up rocks, weapons, if you would, and they threw them at Paul's body till he fell to the ground. And according to the Bible, they drug him out of the city so that the vultures could eat him. And they left him there for dead. But it was a deceiving situation. Do you see what the Bible says? Verse number 20 says, How be it? As the disciples stood around him, he rose up, and he came into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. God rose him up again. He was not dead. He was very much alive. And God used him for his glory and for his honor and for his praise. What the world thought they did was they killed another witness for Jesus Christ. But God raised him up. And as he raised him up, he entered the city and he continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He continued to tell the truth. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today that we are living in a culture that needs the truth. And because they need the truth, we have got to be willing to tell the truth even in a difficult situation. The principle is clear here. To be an effective disciple maker, we have to tell the truth even if it means being put in harm's way. You may have heard this. I, I heard this growing up. You're never as safe as you are when you're at the center of God's will. That is a true statement. But the term safety may mean a lot of different things. What if it's God's will for your life to be a martyr? I mean, we don't like to think about that, do we? What if it's God's will for your life to be a martyr? It may have been God's will for Paul to be a martyr here. But we find that it was not at this season. God rose him up. And the point to you is just simply this. In the realm of telling the truth, we have got to be willing to die for our faith. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, our culture is not getting better. We're getting worse. As a matter of fact, Christians are running the risk even today, time and time again, especially in California and those areas such as that, where the church is being persecuted every week. It's so sad that the government, whom God says according to the Word of God in the book of uh, uh, Hebrews, the Bible tells us that it ought to be the responsibility of government to protect the innocent, protect believers. But we see the government fining churches. Even with this new law that's come out with the IRS and the deductions that you can't offer, we, we are going to see if the true church really exists. 
it's not a problem here at Maysville Baptist Church. I mean, look, look. I mean, we've been able to pay our bills. The debt's coming down. I mean, God is blessing tremendously. And I want to commend you on your faithfulness in your giving. But there are some churches that will suffer because if they don't get a tax deduction, people won't give to the church. As a matter of fact, we're living in a day today where even your pastor today stands at risk of committing hate crimes by preaching the Word of God. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Please hear my heart. I love everybody. I love people. I love the LGBTQ community. But when the LGBT community comes contrary to what the Word of God says, I have to go with what the Word of God says. And so in our culture today, if the Word of God speaks against homosexuality, and the preacher preaches against homosexuality, then he has committed a hate crime and runs the risk. Brothers and sisters, the truth here should not be suppressed. When it comes to the Word of God, if we go by the culture or we go by the Word and we have to make a decision, we better go by the Word of God. So the Bible is very clear in regards in this particular text. If we're going to have an effective discipleship in regards to our church, to be an effective disciple maker, we have to tell the truth, even if it means being put in harm's way. Number three, let me give you the third one very quickly. My time is, is really gone. The third thing we see here in the text is we got to tell the truth. we got to take the time. And then number three, watch this. You got to trust the trials. You got to trust the trials. In verses 21 through 28, in this section of Scripture, we see how God moved and protected the apostles. And in the midst of serious trials, in verses 40, 24 through, through 28, they pause and they look back over their journey and they recall what God has done through the fire they just went through. Did you notice it there? Look at what the Bible says in verse number 20, uh, 27. The Bible says, And when they were come together and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the doors of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they stayed a long time with the disciples. I want to submit to you this morning, this, as we finish up this section of Scripture, that in this text that we see today, that there was everything that they needed, but it was in a trial. Everything that the church needed to be successful in discipleship, it was there. But David, it came to them in the form of a trial. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, if we're going to be true Christians, Bible-believing Christians then we have got to take the trial that God puts in our life. And we've got to trust it. James put it this way. He says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing that these temptations work on your faith, and your faith, when it comes to full maturity, you will be a stronger believer in Jesus Christ. So when you think about this text, and you see in the text, they trusted the trials, and they looked back, what were the things that came out of these trials? 
Did you see it? Let me give them to you very quickly. Number one, the first thing that came out of the trial was evangelism. Verse number 21 again. Let me call your attention to the verse 21. The Bible says that when they had preached the gospel, remember, they just stoned Paul. They just took a, and they, they killed. I mean, they thought he was dead. They drug him out of the city. And when he got back up, what was the first thing that he did after the trial? He preached the gospel. Brothers and sisters, might I say that whether you are, you just come out of a trial, whether you're going into a trial, or whether you're in the middle of a trial, it doesn't matter. May I share with you this? It is our responsibility to preach the gospel. Trust the trial that you're in. Some of you are in a trial right now, and you got, listen, you've got folks that uh, they don't like you, they're against you at work, all these different things, and they tell you, you can't preach the gospel, you can't do any, and you're, there's persecution against you. Trust the trial. Be bold in your faith and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they got done and looked back, they said, God used that. Number two, here's the second one, discipleship. Did you see it? Verse 21, not only do we see evangelism, but we also see discipleship. Verse 21, he says, not only did they preach the gospel to that city, but they also had taught many. The word taught means to disciple. It means to meet with the small groups. They got together in those small groups, and they taught them the things necessary to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ in other situations. What I'm telling you today, Timothy, is this. They reproduce themselves. It was a matter of reproduction. Number three, the third thing they thought about is how they strengthened the believer. Do you see what happened in verse number 22? The Bible says, confirming the souls of the disciples. That term confirming there means to strengthen. They held one another's hand and said, we can do this together. Let's not give up. Here's what we're seeing in the text. There was a sincere attitude of servanthood to one another. Do you know what we need here at Maysville Baptist Church? If we're going to be effective disciple makers, when we come out of this pandemic and we are coming back to church and we want to see our church grow spiritually and knowing that if it grows spiritually, the natural thing is that people get saved and, and people get baptized and uh, we start churches and all these different things. So that's what we're seeing here in the text. We're seeing they're starting churches. We've got to strengthen each other. And in order to strengthen each other, that means we've got to serve together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then here's, watch this. Here's a fourth thing. Not only that, but they also encouraged the believers. When they got together and thought back on that trial, they said, you know, we went through that trial, and, and not only did we get to see evangelism, discipleship, strengthen one another, but we also saw us encouraging one another. Verse number 22, again, he goes on to say there in the text, he says, exhorting them to continue in the faith. The term exhort there means to encourage, to come alongside again in a servant-type manner and say, you got this. You got it. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. And then watch this. He gives us a, a fifth thing very quickly. He says, also, they continued in the faith. What is that? That's persevering. That's persevering. Helping one another get through those difficult trials, not only through encouragement, but through persevering, having the patience, if you would, that we need to get through. Continue in the faith, he says. And then here's the last thing we see. And there, this, there's a lot under this, but I don't have time to go into it. But in verse number 23, when you trust the trials, when they trusted the trials and the strength that God gives them to get through that trial, we see that 
they organized the church. You see what happened there? Again, let me point out verse 23. He says, And when they had ordained the elders in every church, and when they had prayed and fasted, they committed them, if you would, commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Not only, what's fascinating here is not only did they want to see discipleship, but they also wanted to see new churches planted. And the only way that took place is through a trial. It was hard. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, here we are in the 21st century. Like the first century, it's hard. But we should not say, well, it's hard, let's just not do it. No, we must adopt this effective discipleship plan. And we must take the time necessary to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then we must also tell the truth. In a world that is against us, that is against the things that we are saying, we cannot be stifled. We cannot shut our mouth. We must proclaim. In order to be an effective disciple maker, we have to tell the truth, even if it means getting ourselves in harm's way. And number three, we must trust the trial. And here's the principle. Let me give it to you, and, I'm, and I close. The principle is this. To be an effective disciple maker, we have to trust the trials. God is using them. For his glory. So I want to ask you a question. What trial are you going through, Christian? Are you ready to give up? Are you ready to throw in the towel? I want to submit to you today, don't quit yet. Because when we get through this trial, we look back and we're going to see all that God has done for his glory, for his honor. And for his praise. With God's help through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, we're going to trust that the trial that God has put before us, we're going to trust that he's going to see us through and we're going to get victory on the other side. And we're going to keep going from victory to victory because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe you'd say, Pastor... I am in a trial. And maybe the trial that you're in, friend, is a trial of your faith. And what God is desiring to do in that trial is for you to get some security in where you're going to spend an eternity. What I'm talking to you today is simply this. God is challenging you in respect to where you're going to go when you die. Where are you going to go when you die? There's only one of two places. You're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. The Bible says you can know where you're going to spend an eternity. The question I have for you is this, where will you spend eternity? If the Bible says you can know, then where you begin to not know is to go to hell. The whole thing, and we're ready to receive you now. It's taken us some time to get uh, to a place to where we can openly do this, we're ready to receive you. If you want to know what your next step is, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to step out in the aisle, and I'm going to ask you to come forward. We've got some folks ready to receive you. We want to help you join our congregation. Number two, if you're here today and you've, you're saved, but you've never been baptized, 
I'm not saying you need to be baptized today. I want to get that going, though. I want to get it scheduled so you can be baptized. I want to invite you to come. And then number three, here's the third one. If you prayed and you asked Jesus to save you today, I personally want to pray for you. Would you let me do that? Would you let me do that today? I'm going to invite you to come. And then there are others here that maybe just want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe it's been a long time. It's been over a year. Some even longer before you came to this altar. And prayed that God would help us to be effective disciple makers here at Maysville. And that you're putting your yes on the table saying, yes, God, I'm, I'm on that. I'm going to be a part of that. Yes, I want to be an effective disciple maker. I'm putting my yes on the table right now. Some of you have been at war with that. Need to get settled on it. Would you come? Do business with the Lord. Father, have your way in this invitation, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia. 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.